Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Android Central podcast. My name is Shruti Shaker. I'm a writer here at Android Central, and we have a jam-packed, fun-loaded number of things to talk about, per usual, because I feel like we always do. So let me introduce my guest, Nick Sutrick. Hi, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. The, uh, the tech news sector is basically never boring anymore. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's never boring. Exactly. I've got Michael Hicks with me. Hi, Michael. Hello. 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 And I've got Andrew Myrick. Hi, good sir. Hello. Okay. So I want to start off today's episode, uh, sort of a follow-up from last week's episode. I'm sure everyone uh, heard our special Carl Pay episode, um, talking to him about nothing and the things that were coming up. Obviously, that was a, a, a much different episode for us because normally we have more people talking on the podcast, but it was just Nick and I. Uh, and that's partly because we had so much time with Carl, which I thought was different. Normally, you know, when you get an opportunity like this, you get a very short amount of time. Uh, but But we were lucky enough to have Carl with us for about an hour, which was awesome. So I, of course, I wanted to start off with, um, you know, our reaction to, to that episode. Um, Nick, Andrew, or Michael, whoever wants to start first, um, what were your thoughts? I thought that I was very surprised about the answers that he gave. Um, he was a lot more open than I expected him to be just because you usually don't expect, you know, these, and I know Carl pays different compared to the rest of them, but you still don't expect executives to be open the way that he was about everything. Yeah, I think one of the things I thought was was very unique in the in his responses, not just about the company, but about him personally, I thought that was nice. You know, when you hear those personal stories of like, you know, struggles with um, imposter syndrome or like struggles with maintaining employees, there was like almost a sense of like, he's like a human being and not just this entrepreneur, a CEO, an executive, you know, we kind of saw him in that other light. And I, I agree with you. I think he was, he definitely was, um, careful with the things he was saying, but he definitely wasn't shy about being so open. Um, Nick, did you feel the same way as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I liked a lot of the, I guess, sort of backstory that, you know, came, especially with like the company name and just some of the other little tidbits we got in there. It, it was just, I don't know, it was enjoyable. It was a nice talk. I, I know I worry with these things. Sometimes it's it's more of us just question, answer, question, answer. You know, <laughs> like it, it felt a little more organic than that. So I was happy about that. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I also, you know, I appreciate that he was forthcoming with some of the questions that you had specifically, Nick, like around the case. You know, I think it was two episodes ago or maybe three, you know, the team was sort of talking about, well, what would a case look like for a phone that would be transparent. And we were sort of trying to, you know, (laughs) speculate on on what that would look like. And Nick, you asked that question. And I think when we were done, you were like, I was surprised that he even said anything, which is kind of cool. But the fact that he gave us some information about that, Nick, were you surprised by by that information? Or um, is that sort of in line with what we were thinking? I was glad he answered it, like you said. Um, I mean, as, as far as the case design goes, that that's what makes sense to me. And I think that was what we were saying in that conversation the other week was like, if if this is supposed to be, 
like a special design. That's sort of the the shtick of this phone is to look different, I guess, in every way, right? Starting with the outside. It doesn't make a lot of sense to then do the same thing you do with every other phone and throw a big old case on it and cover it up. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting in 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 what he had to say and, and maybe Andrew or, or whoever or, or Nick can can jump in and, and tell me your thoughts on this because I thought it was interesting was when he was telling us about the marketing strategy for nothing in general you know it it's not like what other companies are doing and something that he I feel like he was reiterating on more than one occasion was the fact of like he felt really bored with what's happening out you know, with other companies and how, you know, he's trying to make nothing to be more human, like humanizing tech again, um, connecting with 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 the consumer again. It's to me that doesn't seem like the strategy that most companies take. You know, we look at Samsung, Apple, Google. It's you know, or any of the other other brands out there. It's it's not. It's very tech focused. It's like yes, okay, like these are what 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 consumers want to hear with camera, exactly. you know, AI, like that kind of stuff. But when he was saying that he wanted to build that that gap between tech and humans, I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know. Did you guys did you guys feel that? Yeah, and and we see that a little bit with um, Google's Pixel stuff lately, where a lot of their features and I, I, I hesitate to call it marketing because Google still doesn't do like a ton of marketing for the Pixels, although the 6 was better. Um, the, basically, the, the whole narrative around that is making things that are convenient is not the right word. I'm trying to remember what word they're using, if any of you <laughs> remember it, but... It's, you know, like you were saying with the human element, Google is basically saying these are things that are not even making your life more convenient, but they're more human focused. And I feel like yeah, um, nothing is probably the the only other company that sounds like that they're doing that. I mean, of course, we don't know what the products look like yet, so we don't know how true that rings. But hearing them even say that, I think, is a step further than like you're saying other companies go because a lot of times it's just, oh, well, check out our new UI or check out our new features. I mean, even Apple was guilty of doing that, which we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah. There's a lot of just features, 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 features. And yeah. Something that stood out to me, like when it went in terms of the marketing stuff is it, it really seems like they're not going to pour a lot into it, whether they, because they don't have the, the company, uh, not Carl specifically have, they don't have the funds to have a massive marketing campaign. Um, but they've, he already confirmed that they're partnered with different carriers in different countries and stuff. And so that there's going to be more to come on that regard. And I just think that it's interesting that nothing is traveling a road that is not well-traveled. They're, yeah. they're going down a completely different path than what we're used to seeing without also just following the same steps as the early one plus days, which I thought was, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and I, I, I think he was sort of, I, th- I, if I recall, I asked a question where it was sort of like, you know, do you feel like you are a BlackBerry where you are catering to a fan base um, who know who you are, who want the products that you put out, or is this sort of going to become the next Samsung? And 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 what does that marketing strategy look like? And I think his response to that was, you know, we're not going to be the disruptor in the way that 
phones are traditionally marketed in specific regions. Like, you know, in North America, it's very carrier focused. In India and certain other markets, it's very, um, you know, you purchase your phone separately and you get uh, you get your SIM cards or whatever it may be. So I, I don't necessarily think, and I agree with you, Andrew, in that, yeah, he's doing a different tactic here, but I, I also don't think that he's trying to change the way um, phones are are meant to be sold. I think he's taking that very strongly into account. But it is interesting. To, it is interesting to see the the way. Like it 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 seems very strategic in my head. You know, he which country he he's partnering with and and how that's going to launch. But I guess we'll learn more. Um, on July 12th, which by the way, happens to me my birthday, but we'll, we'll learn more, I guess, uh, then, um, about the phone because that's when the phone is getting launched. But I want to sort of pivot to our next major announcement that happened, uh, earlier this week. It was the Apple's worldwide developers conference. Um, it was about a two hour long show. I wanted to kill myself because it was so long and I was so hungry and we had so much <laughs> work to do. And I feel like we all feel the same in that, you know, it was, uh, it was, a, it was okay. It was a great presentation. I don't know. What did you guys think about the presentation? There was lots of wind and hair blowing. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so the last one, I don't remember if it was last year's WWDC or another event that Apple did virtually like this. I really liked the way they did like the transitions between the scenes and all that stuff. And it felt not authentic, but definitely high budget and very interesting. It kind of felt really cringe. This, this time. one felt super cringe. I did yeah. not like it at all. If we're just talking about presentation, like it was over the top. Yeah, I don't know. Like you had you had Google's whole thing at I.O. where, you know, he was just like, bam, here's the watch. Here's all the things. There was like no presentation. This was the total opposite of that, right? Actually, it's it's funny because I think that was like one of the first comments. I can't remember who who made it. I think it was Michael or Andrew basically being like, I'm so sick and tired of Apple going so extra with their presentations and Google yeah. being so underwhelming. Like there right. was no yeah, was middle me. ground. And I just think that's interesting. I don't know. Was that you, Michael, who said it? Yeah, I just, yeah, Google just stands there and tells you things and spends a lot of time on stuff that is not exactly eye-catching or whatever. Apple also does the same thing with a lot of features that aren't necessarily game-changing or that you'll actually use, but it does it in a way that is very stylized and makes you want to keep looking at it and say, oh, that's interesting. I forgot Maps was the thing. So. <laughs> It it works, but like, yeah, I guess the question is, what is more effective? There's a bunch, bunch of memes of Craig right now oh God. online. Yeah. Is that good for Apple or bad for Apple? People are talking about Apple. And See, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say I agree. I mean, like any press is good press, whether it's bad, right? I think that's because at the end of the day, you're talking about the company. Like this has nothing to do with Apple, but like, you know, a, a while ago when Netflix released Bridgerton season two, I was like, you know, there was certain parts of the episode or of the show that I, I liked and certain parts that I didn't like. And I was tweeting about it and someone commented like, it's, you know, whether if the show is good or not, like you're still talking about it and that's what Netflix wants. And I think the same goes for any company where where if it's good news or bad news like it's it's 
it's good for them. When we talked about the Pixel Watch getting leaked, it was good for Google, whether or not they wanted that to happen. It was good, right? And so I think when we talk about this this over ex- extravagant, um, you know, stretched out sort of announcement that Apple put out and also with those like really cringe moments, I think it doesn't matter to them because they know that they still have their loyal fan base and it, I don't think they care, frankly. My question is, in this day and age, who is this conference for? And and the same thing can be said for IO, right? Like these are both supposed to be developer conferences that the initial intent was, here's a whole bunch of new stuff we're launching with our OS. Here's why developers should do ABCXYZ with their apps to, you know, now align with the direction of our OS. And it's turned into this hyper, you know, big budget, crazy produced show but who who watches this? Is it just us as journalists and then tech enthusiasts? Like, do they really need to go all out on this stuff? You know, it's, a, or, it's for the media circus is what it's for. But like, does the media circus really replay all of these moments for like regular people to watch? Is there any purpose to what they're doing effectively is what I'm asking. I, I think the purpose of the, the new version of it where you get hardware at the end is to attract in theory, everyday people, the people who are saying, I wonder if the next pixel is going to show up. I wonder, you know, I think a lot of people probably watch WWDC just to find out about the new MacBooks. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you right now, I'm looking at YouTube, the Apple page on YouTube, and it says that 7.7 million people watched that specific event. And they watched it for the MacBook. I think they didn't watch it for Apple Maps or for you know, yeah, the memes. Probably. they just wanted to know, like, how much better is the M2? Turned out not that much, but people, you know, did watch and they got to see like, OK, what colors are there going to be? And should I get the the new Air, or the new Pro? But before that, they sat through all the stuff that made them think, oh, maybe iOS, you know, has some cool new features. Maybe I should stick around and see them and not switch to Android. I, I guess that's the point. Uh, so... But I, I agree with you that, it's, you know, developers probably don't have this, don't care as much if it's just going to be all very consumer focused. Right. I don't want to um, throw you out, out of the loop, uh, Nick, because I know you're you're going to be writing this article for next week, but obviously, like, don't reveal too much of your thoughts. But I do, you know, since we're, we are speaking of that, of the question of, like, who is this conference for? And do people really care about the announcements that are happening? I think one of the things that you had brought up during our chat was, um, you know, there's all these new features. Like, I think there were so many new iOS features and new things that people can do on the Mac and the iPad. And it's like, are we being inundated with too many features? And like, how important are these features? And should we be talking about all these features? Like, is it too much for the user? Um and is it really necessary or is it or is it overwhelming? I, I don't know if you want to kind of give me your thoughts on that. It's a really hard conversation because, you know, on one hand, you want new features, right? People have, I mean, just take the iPhone, iPhone for example, right? When you have Android users going, why can't the iPhone do this? I can't believe you guys haven't been able to do this for eight years. You know, whatever that mindset is, right? There's always that every year. So you want these new features in the OS so that 
it can't be said that the iPhone can't do these things, right? But then at the same time, the sort of the whole point of the iPhone initially was that, yes, it's a powerful tool, but it's also simple. You don't have to really think about all these crazy things that you can or, you know, can do or need to find or whatever and all these menus. It's generally like the UI is here's your back button. Here's your home button. Here's all the buttons you need to press are on the bottom row. There's no extra menus. Like there was a lot of thought put into that type of UI where everything you can do is right there. And they only have a few things that are really important that they want you to do with whatever app it is, right? Or whatever UI element you're looking at. And I feel like it's gone the opposite way. You know, iOS really is just Android these days in, in that there are a million features and things you can do with it, which is great. But now that sense of simplicity of, you know, what made people really attracted to the iPhone in the first place, I almost feel like is gone in many ways. And I don't know, you know, for you and Andrew and probably Michael, too, actually, that that have a lot of experience with iPhones firsthand using them every day, whatever. Do you feel that as well? Or is that just me kind of looking in going, this is getting nuts? <laughs> well, I guess my question then to you and, and to everyone else um, uh, who's on here right now is maybe that's the point that Apple is trying to get at, which is that they don't want to be seen as a company that doesn't have a feature, whether you use it or not. They want to be the company that has everything available. And it's like, okay, you know, if, you, if you're going to use a translation tool, then you, even if you're using it once, you've used it and you can say to other people, oh yeah, my phone does that. They never want to be the company where people say, my phone doesn't do that. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe that that's probably why there are so many features. But, uh, you know, I don't know, like Michael, Andrew, do you feel like there are too many features on the iPhone. And I want to get to some of those features that were stolen, quote unquote, stolen from Android in just a second. But do you guys feel like there's just too many, too many features? I'm always down for more features. I don't think that there's, I don't think there's such a thing as, well, there, I take that back. There is such a thing as too many features, but I don't think Apple's butting up against that just yet. Because the other thing is like all these things that they're adding, you don't have to do any of it. So it's just there if you want to custom, like the lock screen stuff, you, you you have that option if you want it, but it's you don't have to do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to add to that. I didn't, some people used all the widgets added last year and some people just kept the same app screen they've had for years and they're fine because they don't care about customizing their phone. The customization options are for people that need to use iPhones, but also use Android and might feel sad that they can't do the same things on both phones. But yeah, there's there's a certain group of people that don't care at all about the new features, except for when they pop up as a little pop up when you download the new OS and they say, oh, that's cool. But then they might use it once and then forget about it, like Memojis. My mom loved Memojis for about a week <laughs> and then she just stopped using it. Yeah. You know, it's right. And that was sort of the other half of that, I guess, question, right, is, OK, Yes, these features are nice. And, you know, like you said, Truthy, even if you only use it once, it's still nice to have it. But how many of these features, you know, have been, you know, have people spent, I don't know, a year or two on developing? And, you know, for the most part, they're only going to get used one time by a user and forgotten or whatever. Like, I don't I don't know. 
maybe it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but, you know, a, a lot of this conference, I, there were plenty of times where I'm looking at this like, well, this is cute, but does anybody care? It, and that makes me think of another question, which is like, in five years time, are we even going to have these conferences? Because it's like, there's so like, how much more can you add? Right. Al- like already there's all of these features. What is, what's next? Like how much more can you add? And I mean, I guess that's like an, a never ending question with tech because tech is always evolving, but it's like, you know, when does it stop? And does it stop at some point? I probably not. But I just think it's, it's, it's interesting, because yeah, we, we do have a lot of, of features. But but speaking of those features, um, Andrew wrote a fantastic article uh, yesterday, uh, which was the Wednesday, June 8th, it was published. Um, he wrote uh, 10 things iOS 16, quote unquote, stole from Android, which essentially means these were all the features that Google already had many, many years ahead of its ahead of Apple, but Apple is now bringing it to their phones. And, you know, when these features were announced, you know, Twitter was going insane. I don't know if you guys noticed, but everyone was just like, wait, didn't Google do this already? Wait, didn't Google do this already? It was literally like every single feature and some of those, you know, like lock screen widgets. Um, Let's see what else. Live text that was done by Google back in 2017, um, shared photo libraries, um, standalone fitness app, improvements to mail. I mean, like creating map routes with multiple stops. Like these are features that, you know, Google kind of brought on so many years ago. And I guess I I, I want to hear from Andrew, obviously, because you wrote the article. Um, but also I want to hear what everyone else has to say. Like what it's so interesting to me because whenever Apple does this, they make it seem so cool to the user when it's already in existence. Like it's been there already. And and it's like, is there something Google does that makes them uncool? And then when Apple does it, it's automatically somehow cool to have these features. I, I don't know. That's just something that popped into my head when I when I saw these features. What do you guys think? To me, it seems like Apple still operates inside a reality distortion field, which was Steve Jobs' bread and butter. Like, he just ignored everybody else and just focused on what he did, and it didn't matter what the others were doing. Now they're going, they're spreading out of that, as we can see from, like, the different new new chipset announcements. Like, they're actually comparing the, you know, graphical power to a 3080 or a 3090 GPU for PCs. But for the most part, Apple's still just, hey... Yep, we we invented these features, even though, you know, lock screen widgets were around for a couple, like for uh, less than a year, I think. It was like Android 4.2 to Android 5, and then lock screen widgets were gone. Um, But it's just, I just think it's Apple being Apple. So then the question is, why bring it if, for example, Google stopped doing it? You know, like you mentioned, it was around for about a year, which is evident in the fact that one of the reasons why Google probably got rid of it was because it was inconvenient to the end user. Why would Apple want to bring on something then? Is it is it because they feel like they are doing it better than Google? Or do you think that they think users really want that? Google got rid of it because of always on displays. And there are, in that article that I wrote, that went up yesterday, 
there are mentioned there are code references that I think um, nine to five Mac found that Apple is working on and always on display. And it's kind of obvious when you, you know, I've got an iOS 16 on my iPhone 13 Pro Max right now. And some of the UI elements, it definitely looks like they're getting ready for a proper always on display, which is something that iPhone users have never had. So it's just, they're also making a, uh, imp- uh, improvements to widget kit, which is what the API, the set of APIs for the widgets, but it's also the same set of APIs that are used on for the different complications on an Apple watch. So they're just trying to merge and melt everything together. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, I, I'm not, I'm not sure where else to go from that. Anyone else have any thoughts on these these copies that Apple has has put out? The lock screen thing is really the most interesting to me, just because I can't remember if we had this conversation in the chat or on air, but I, I know I asked, like, how many people actually spend time on their lock screen? Like, do you do you actually pick your phone up and go through your notifications in your lock screen? Do you I mean, even. I know, obviously, right now, it's not as useful as what this update is going to bring. But do you really think that even with these things, you're going to pick up your phone and go, I don't want to unlock my phone. I just want to look at my lock screen. I mean, I'll be honest, I do that. I just yeah, let I it, do my face ID recognize me just so the notifications pop up. And I say, oh, that's it's some spam text. And I just put my phone down because I don't want to unlock it to have to see that it's spam. Yeah, no, and I I do the same thing too. Like I will literally just do my face ID just to see what my notifications are. And then if it's super urgent or important, then I respond to it. But yeah, I mean, I may, I think it might be interesting when we have iOS 16 properly in our hands to see what that lock screen feature is going to look like. Because I think it's kind of interesting. And that answers my question then, because that's, that was the thing that really, I guess, stood out to me because I'm trying to think how often I use my lock screen. I I guess it is a fair amount of time because it'll be sitting on my desk and I'll get a notification. And generally, I will glance at it, you know, because we have an always on display. And, you know, I'd say half the time I either swipe it away or ignore it. Mm, yeah, if not that's... more than half the time. So to me, that is very useful. But not having an iPhone, you know, I don't, I don't know what the daily routine is, is as far as that goes, because I think about, like you said, with face ID, if you're just picking up your phone and looking at it, I feel like I would just swipe up. <laughs> like I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. even bother looking at the thing. I would just swipe up and then do whatever I'm intending to do with the phone. If I'm holding the thing. Mm. I, I, for me specifically, I, you know, I have a MagSafe stand on my desk. So instead of having to look at my watch or if my watch is on the charger, you know, I don't have to go through and get distracted by the different buzzes and bings on my computer itself. I can just glance at my phone, see what's coming in because, you know, the screen lights up. And then if I want to do something then I can pick it up, but I don't have to physically pick it up every time. I just it's close enough where Face ID recognizes how far away I am, unlocks it, lets me see the notification, and then I can decide what to do with it from there without having to move my hands off my keyboard and mouse. Dude, that's so smart. I should do that. <laughs> so my my quick thought about this is just, you know, looking through the list of things that were copied, 
half of it will never apply to me whenever I'm using an iPhone because I prefer Google apps for a lot of the things here. Like a lot of these are for first party Apple apps that a lot of Apple users don't bother to use because Google has done it better for years. And even if Apple starts to catch up, it won't matter because we've already set our sights on the ones we prefer. But in terms of stuff like the lock screen stuff or the UI, I think Apple users don't mind that Android did it first or maybe has done it better or anything because Apple does its own spin on it and treats Android like its own beta and then says, okay, cool, you did it this way. We're going to do it this, you know, this other way instead. And then it, it works out for Apple users and they say, okay, cool, we got it. Oh, you had it for years? Well, now I have it. No, cool. that that's so, so true, though. Oh, my God. Like, Dude, ProMotion is the perfect example of that. Yeah, but no, but also just what you said, Michael, Apple treats Android as its beta. That is hilariously so true. That, that's and fair. Yeah, I mean, it totally is. But also, like, I don't even think most Apple users know that most of these features were already on Google. Like, I don't think they know that. I didn't until I switched and started using Android phones. And I said, oh, wow, these are cool features. And then when they come to Apple, I say, great. You know, I mean, it's good to have it everywhere. <laughs> you, know, you know what I do want to see Google copy? is this text behind an object thing on the lock screen. I'm enamored with it. I'm sorry. Oh, it's, <laughs> freaking it love is it. very, it's very beautiful. The multi-layer photo effect, they call it. But yeah, where you can have, you know, you have your clock and your date and all that right there on the top of the lock screen. And that I don't know how you select it. I'm assuming maybe you draw a box or something. I haven't seen the, the setup for it, but I've seen a couple like, somebody posted theirs to the to the iMore, like they, they tweeted to iMore. And it was just, a, I guess, a picture they took out in the desert somewhere. And they had a cactus coming up. And, like, part of the cactus was covering, you know, a little corner of that clock. I love it. I like, think it's like so Like on beautiful. a magazine. You know, you go to yeah. a, a grocery yeah. store and you see the magazines. And you can't read half the word Vanity Fair because somebody's face is in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's stupid on a magazine. But I like it on a lock screen for some weird reason. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's very aesthetic. I think it's very aesthetic. And I think um, it's, it looks very beautiful. But uh, I want to talk about... One thing that was not announced during uh, WWDC, which is anything related to AR, because I think that was something that a lot of people were anticipating. Maybe we're going to finally, you know, hear something about Apple's AR, VR hardware, its XR headset. Um, and Michael wrote a, a fantastic article. Uh, it's called AR isn't ready for the real world yet. And Apple's WWDC conference proved it. And I think it's uh, it speaks volumes to, to the fact that a company like Apple, which we've seen it do with so many of its other products where it, it sort of just sits back, relaxes, lets other companies put out, you know, some products. And then finally, years later, we'll come out uh, with a similar version. We saw that with this Fold. We know that so many other companies have a Fold foldable device, but Apple doesn't. Um, and now we're seeing the same sort of thing play out with, with the XR headset. Uh, Michael, I, I, I want to turn it to you and and what are your thoughts on this because you you have quite a few thoughts about this yeah so what's interesting to me is that the you know vr the the quest does it you know it, it works it's for gaming it, it's fun for ar it honestly seems to me like the this is fine meme in terms of what every single company is trying to do with it. Every single company wants to do AR. They think it's the future. They think it, you know, they want to be part of the metaverse. But if you look at what every company has actually done with it in recent years, HoloLens is a mess. 
I mean, they're they're trying to make it a military thing, but apparently the soldiers don't actually like it all that much. And Jeez. the U.S. military has spent billions on it and might end up canceling it. All the people working on it are miserable and leaving. the The head of the of Hololens, I think, was just just resigned because he was accused of harassment. You don't yeah. quote me on that. Yeah, yes, that's another yes. separate story. That's no bueno. Yeah. <laughs> so Microsoft, yikes. Uh, Meta. You know, it does VR, but apparently just right after I published that, the information posted that it's canceling its AR prototype Nazare because of problems there. And the fact that all of the the, the people, you know, the why am I blanking on this word? The people who back Meta, the board members, <laughs> whatever, uh, investors the financiers, freaking maybe out. the investors. Yeah. Yeah. They they spent tens. They're, they're losing tens of billions of dollars a year building these prototypes and there's no evidence that it's going to work. So they canceled the AR headset coming up and they're focusing on the next one after that because apparently the one they were working on wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, Google, we know what happened with Glass. They're they're working on new AR stuff, like the ones they showed off of Google I.O. that translate, you know, auto live translate. But I'm not sure. It looked really great because it was stylized. The text appeared outside of the glasses. If you're actually looking through AR glasses with a really narrow field of view, it's not actually going to look as nice. It's going to be this text just, you know, Either it's going to be really low res or they'll put a giant projector to make it look good. And then the glasses will be really heavy or really uncomfortable to wear. I just think every company is trying to do this. Qualcomm is, has built its own AR glasses as a, as a template for other people to copy. But when they talked about it, they it sounded great. But they said that when it's not plugged into anything and you're doing a demanding demo, it only lasts 30 minutes. The battery can not be that big without the glasses getting too heavy. So in all of this mess, Apple is also trying. It's doing a different thing with mixed reality where it's VR plus AR, which can work better because it doesn't need to look like real glasses, right? It can just be a giant thing on your head and look really good and then use a camera to show the world around you. But we've heard that it has serious battery problems and overheating problems as well that it's working on. So everyone's trying to do this. But everyone else is waiting for someone else to go first and actually release an AR or mixed reality headset that is actually good. And I'm not sure when it's going to happen. I've tried out AR prototypes that are very promising. But is there anything that is going to be A, really good and B, really affordable and C, something you dare to wear outside? I I don't know. I'm not sure when it's going to happen. I'd love to hear Nick's thoughts on this. I mean, that's that's basically just, it, right? I, before before Nick says anything, I just yeah, want ahead. to say I have never heard Michael so so passionate, <laughs> <laughs> and like that was that was awesome. I love that. But no, what were you going to say, Nick? <laughs> I I think Michael's reaction to me after he left that conference last week was pretty telling of the industry, right? Like they had this big conference. It's uh, you know. A lot of fanfare is made about it, and there were cool things there. And like he said, there's a lot of a lot of really interesting stuff. Some things do work very well, but the problem is you have to have so many different categories of you know it needs to look good, it needs to work well, it needs to last all day, it needs to blah 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 blah, and none of them can even meet two of the ten. We're yeah. just we're so. I, I don't even know what era we're in at this point if we're going to compare it to like, you know, laptops or something. But right. I'm thinking like we're we're in the mainframe era of computing. 
as far as this goes. We, yeah. We we need like another 20 years for this to to meet any sort of vision. Like I think we're there with VR obviously. The Quest is excellent. It works really well. I mean, the few people who whine about the graphics not being PS5 quality are few and far between. They can go scratch, but other <laughs> than that, I mean, really there's no major thing that that system does that I think most people complain loudly about you know obviously it can be smaller it can be lighter it can last longer whatever those are all important improvements to make but ar on the other hand oh my gosh like (laughs) most of them just forget it i mean even even the cool ones i've used that are supposed to be uh, a home theater isn't quite right but the idea is basically you put these glasses on and now you have a 250 inch tv in front of your face that works pretty well but it has a lot of limitations. It's got to be wired up. You know, it, it doesn't last on its own. It doesn't really do anything on its own. Most of them are, are that way where they tether to your phone. And even then, it's just super limited. Like, okay, I'm probably going to use this when I go on a plane and I'm sitting there for four or five hours or whatever. But other than that, I mean, I don't I don't really know of a scenario where I would want to put that type of product on my face and use it. Yeah, and really quickly, I, I just... That is the thing. Meta and Apple want AR or mixed reality to be a laptop on your face. Meta has actually used that phrase internally or a Chromebook on your face. And the question is, these things are going to cost, you know, $1,000 to $2,000. Some people can afford a laptop and an AR headset, but most people can't or won't because they don't trust it to work. So is there a big enough market for people to literally buy mixed reality glasses as their laptop. Why even have it then? What's the point of even... The, the point is to have, instead of buying a monitor and a computer that takes up room on your desk, you just put something on your head and you have an instant 80-inch display or five displays all in the air around you to be able to work. And Apple is building its own VR or AR versions of apps that would work for that. And they have computing experience where they could pull this off, I think, better than Meta, honestly. But will it? Will people want that instead of a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro? I don't, I really, I think that's a really good question to ask. And I don't know if that is the case. Like, I think maybe, Nick, maybe you can speak to this as well in terms of numbers. But like, are, are we seeing a lot of people interested in something like this? Is Are we at that point in, in, in our reality where we would want to give up. And also, I'm also thinking about people who have spent a lot of money on existing setups, right? Like, you know, right. there's a there's a lot of people who have like curved monitor displays, who have three displays, uh, who have custom built PCs, like uh, me- mechanical keyboards. Like these are things that don't cost, that they're not cheap. They like Some people's setups can cost thousands of, of dollars. So it's like, are we at that point right now that would actually convince users to get to that point? Or is this kind of unrealistic? No, we're definitely not at that point. But I think that's the vision, right? So uh, I don't even know where to start with this. Um, If I'm thinking about like work from home, right? Um, If you're somebody who, let's say you used to work in an office and I don't know, you worked in a, a, a knock center and you had like six monitors, you were monitoring you know, network traffic and stuff like that. The idea would be that you could then take that home with you or wherever you are 
If you just have a pair of glasses you stick on and now your whole workstation is with you everywhere, you don't have to set all that nonsense up at all, you know, much less reset it up anytime you move. So there, there's that layer of convenience. And, you know, like you said, cost savings, since you won't have to rebuy equipment for several different locations. Um, gosh, I don't, I don't know. Like when Michael was saying about monitors, like, okay, that's, that's sort of a, a stopgap thing, right? Like it, right now, when we're working at a desk, we think of, I have a keyboard, I have a mouse, I have a monitor, I have a laptop. Like we think of these physical objects on our desk Whereas if you're thinking, I guess we'll say properly about a virtual augmented reality space, things wouldn't, information wouldn't be limited to being displayed on a physical piece of equipment like that, right? So instead of, okay, well, I could put these glasses on and have six monitors in front of me. Now you could change your mindset to, I put these glasses on and all around me is information that I can pin. I can pin stuff to the wall. I can mm-hmm. pin mm-hmm. stuff to my desk. Like theoretically, you could then have a lot more space to work on. You could have interchangeable desks, just like, you know, and this is another like power user feature. If you use multiple desktops on your computer for different purposes, you could think of that in like a real world space. Now you switch out these virtual spaces and you could have, oh, well, here's my prototyping space where I can make you know, I don't know, prototypes for whatever thing that I'm working on for work versus here's my play space where I'm playing games and you can still use the same equipment, right? Like there's there's a lot of really awesome reasons that this needs to become a thing, but yeah, it's not even close to being there yet. Even the the similar concepts from companies like Enreal um, who do that sort of mixed reality space in a way are very, very early and they're very limited too. like, you know, the app has to work with that. It has to be made for that. There's, there's a lot of things in there. And I think once it gets to the point where Apple feels confident walking out onto the stage and doing what they always do in that, you know, we're not even going to mention the rest of the industry. Here's what we have. Check it out. That's when I think we're going to finally see this thing. So I just, as many times as we've seen this come up, I mean, gosh, Michael, what was that article you linked me to from Tech Radar 2018? Yeah, I wrote in 2018 a guide on everything we know about the headset <laughs> and how it's coming out soon. Right. Yeah. I'm just like, man, I mean, how many years are we going to talk about it like this? Right. Because it really isn't actually soon. They obviously are prototyping it. This is this is back to the whole Pixel Watch, Pixel Phone thing. Uh, Pixel Fold thing, sorry. Uh, you They're know, obviously they it. had it been prototyping those things for years. And we finally got the Pixel Watch now that they were ready to show it off. And I think this is the same way. It definitely exists. They're definitely prototyping it. It's definitely not ready. <laughs> yeah. And in honor of Jerry, who couldn't make it to the, to the podcast today, whenever we bring up Apple VR, he always says, that's never going to happen. That's <laughs> never going to happen. So, <laughs> you know, just kind of sounded like him too there. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know what he would think if you were here. Channeling your inner Jerry. <laughs> we miss you, Jerry. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's take a really quick break because I do want to get to a couple more articles before we let you guys go. But uh, let's take a really quick break and we'll be right back. We've all been there. Trying to find the right candidate when we're hiring for someone is so incredibly hard. And I think that's where Indeed makes a really good 
fit for if you're trying to find the right person to hire because it's the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash ACP. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash ACP. That's indeed.com slash ACP. Now, just to note, the offer is only good for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. Pay per qualified applicant not available for all users. And let me tell you something. I can guarantee you, you're going to find your next hire if you use Indeed. Okay, we're back. I want to talk about iPad OS 16 because I think a lot of people were really excited about some of the features that came out of iPad OS 16 and, and what its its aim is now going to be. Um, and Andrew wrote, a, again, in a, another fantastic article. Uh, it's called iPad OS 16 and Stage Manager aimed to narrow the gap between the iPad and Samsung decks on Galaxy tablets. Now, I think this article was interesting because it's uh, something that I know, uh, Andrew, you were sort of, you're excited for and you're looking forward to. Um, but but why don't you first talk us through what exactly is Stage Manager um, and, and tell us your thoughts on why you're excited about this and why you think it's going to narrow that gap. Uh, it's just basically multi-windowing for iPads, which is something that we have needed, we iPad users have needed. Um, let me rephrase one more time. We iPad Pro users have needed because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, got the iPad Pro or want the, wanted to get the iPad Pro to use it as a laptop replacement. But iPad OS in its current form before this fall, it's still very, very limited. It's, it's basically nothing more than a very expensive iPhone with a bigger screen. Um, and iPad OS with stage manager, which is an awful name. I I couldn't think of something better, but stage manager is just a bad name. Um, you'll be able to, it'll, it, it brings multi-window support. It brings a Samsung Dex like feature with uh, proper external display support. So you can run up, you know, you can use your iPad, plug your iPad into a monitor, provided that it's on an ultra wide uh, and use up to eight apps on the screen at the same time. All of them are resizable and it's really, really buggy. So it's not like the greatest, smoothest experience, but um, it's also the first developer beta and nothing is ever smooth. Um, But I just think that in order for Apple and Samsung to compete on it from the tablet perspective, you know, Apple, Apple's at the top of the mountain, in my opinion, and in, in many people's opinions. But when it comes to the pro-style tablet, the Tab S8 Ultra is a phenomenal piece of technology. And Apple kind of led, was supposed to lead the way with last year's announcement because they brought the same M1 chip that they introduced back in 2020 and put it into the iPad. The problem is that the software was so limited that there was many people including myself, thought that there was literally no point for Apple to do that, except for the potential of what's to come in the future. But you don't buy, unless you're me, you don't buy devices on the promise of future releases. But do you think that that um, 
Apple can actually succeed, successfully compete with the likes of, um, you know, like the Galaxy tablets. We know that Galaxy tablets are are very good at what it does, especially with Dex. They are used for, you know, very specific reasons, but they've been in existence for some time with these capabilities. They've they've had these opportunities and they almost have a one one up to what, what Apple's trying to do right now. So do you really think that they'd be able to compete with, with Galaxy tablets? Once they get all the kinks ironed out, I do. Um, and it's, again, in its current form, it is very buggy and very frustrating because the windows don't snap the way that they need to snap. And that's the other thing too, is they're resizable, but they, according to, and I don't know the in-depth, like the coding side of it, but according to the code for stage manager, there are certain areas where a window can be placed. And, it also depends on the size or the type of app being used, which also plays into the whole developer aspect of things. And that hasn't, you know, developers just got a hold of this starting on Monday. So I think that Apple could do it. It's just a matter of developers implementing, Apple continuing to to fine-tune and make it a more cohesive experience. But I think at the end of it, I think you'll I think it's going to be phenomenal to be able to have. A Samsung tablet, the you know the flagship tablet with Dex, the iPad Pro with the M1 chip and Stage Manager, competing against each other, and I think it's just going to be it's going to come down to whether it's like a Windows versus uh, Windows versus Mac kind of comparison, or even Android versus iOS. What you can do everything the same way, it's just the inner how it looks and how it, how it works is going to be the big difference there. Okay, so one of the things that you wrote in your article is how. Uh, stage manager is pretty much only going to be coming to specific devices. Uh, and that's three iPad models, the 2022 iPad Air, 2021 11-inch iPad Pro, 2021 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And you had mentioned that, you know, the thing that these three iPads have in common is is the fact that they all have the M1 chip. Um, but, you know, in, in your article, you also mentioned that, you know, it's it's probably not a great look, you know, uh, that that Apple wants to almost force its existing clientele to have to upgrade to these models to be able to use something like this. Um, but I think it's, you know, I, I want to look at it from the flip side, too. I mean, is don't you think that this is a good thing? Because now they are they're taking advantage of this. And if you really are a diehard Apple fan, then you will purchase one of these iPads. I think it sucks regardless if you don't already have one. Uh, I, like planned or uh, forcing users to upgrade, you know, not everybody is like us and in the tech space and everything. And they, you know, these are not, they're not cheap devices. The iPad Air is in a relative, ter- in like relatively speaking, but like the iPad Pro that I have on my desk kitted out with extra storage and the Magic Keyboard that's overpriced and everything like that. Like it, it's laptop territory. And I think that it just not, it sucks that it, they're basically gatekeeping features. Now, something came out shortly after, or I think it came out this morning or maybe for more recently, Apple kind of tried to explain why it can't be used on um, non-M1 iPad models. And it has something to do with the fast memory swap feature that's exclusive to M1s and not the A series of chips that power older or older iPads and computers and phones and stuff. Right. Well, I guess regardless of all of that, um, you know, I think it's a good change that we have 
this opportunity now, this whole stage manager experience, again, like you mentioned, I think once Apple smooths out the kinks and makes sure that it all works out for, you know, regular consumers in the fall, I think it'll be really telling to see whether it actually does become a, a natural competitor to the Galaxy tablets. Um, do you, either of you other guys have any thoughts about this? I had a question for Andrew. Um, I read, I don't remember who tweeted this, but I remember someone saying they thought that eventually Apple would find a way to add Mac OS to the iPad, to the M1 iPads as like, you know, in theory, like just like Samsung has Dex mode, you could switch over from iPad OS to Mac OS on these tablets. And that could, in theory, make them true, truer laptop replacements. Do you think, A, that's feasible and B, that's a good idea? No and no. They're, se- <laughs> okay. they're, se- they're, they're just separate devices, in my opinion. And Stage Manager gets you close. Stage Manager is also available on um, uh, Mac OS Ventura, it, which doesn't really surprise me, considering that they're it's basically the same platform across the board. Mac OS just has the benefit of Rosetta, which translates the Intel uh, Intel based or whatever the base is for the older apps to work on ARM chipsets. Um, but no, I, I think that they need to, I want to see them fine tune that my, my answer might change by the end of the year, depending upon how iPad OS 16 looks when it's released this fall. Um, uh, but I want to reserve my final judgment until after then, but I don't, I don't think it would be let the iPad be an iPad, go get a MacBook air. If you need something light portable and desktop like. Yeah. And I think, I don't remember how long ago it was that. It, they merged sort of the visual style of iOS and macOS, right? They they had that. How many releases ago was that? Four or five now? No, I think it was like two, one or oh, two. Oh, okay. I thought it was longer yeah. than that. Well, in any case, I felt like when they did that, I saw a lot of people going, please don't merge this with iPadOS. I like macOS. Like, they, they want those things separate. And... I don't know if even if they try to to I'm not even necessarily saying they're going to merge the OSs, but I think they have to maintain those those separate lines to keep those people happy. People aren't going to want, you know, that one device that does all those things that you can swap between. And we sort of saw that with the iPad when it first came out. The iPad was a glorified iPhone. It, It basically did nothing new right when it first came out. It was an iPhone with a giant screen. And then as it started getting, you know, on in years and they started differentiating it from the iPhone and then they called it iPad OS and they have all these other features that make it feel more like a desktop. I think that's when that product line starts to make more sense for somebody like me, because I have never owned a tablet. I've reviewed several of them. I've never liked a single one. I, they're purposeless in my life. Whereas I think something like this would actually make a tablet make sense for me as a replacement for a laptop. That's very interesting for you to say that, Nick. Yeah, the Surface, I think, is the only one of that form factor that I would ever consider just because it's full-scale Windows. But then you start running into performance issues with things like Photoshop and that sort of thing. you know. And thankfully, I don't do video editing anymore, so my requirements for hardware... And apps are not as big of a deal these days as it used to be. But I still need, like, full-fledged Photoshop. So, you know, even if the the OS and the hardware and all that is there, I still need that 
one piece of the puzzle to fully do my job. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That was a fun conversation, guys. But of course, I want to end the conversation with what made our our weeks happy this week. Um, what 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 was not work related that made you happy this week? So I'm gonna start with uh Nick. Do you wanna go first? Yeah. Yeah. Um this week has been like all the new things at once, right? So like <laughs> o- over the weekend. We had the Fortnite season two closed out and then on late Sunday, early Monday or whatever, season three started. So like my son and I started playing that. And then uh, two days ago, I think the Minecraft the Wild update came out and we're getting new tea today. And like we got a bunch of great new like snacks and stuff yesterday. And I'm just like, this is the week that I get all the new things. I'm just happy <laughs> about that. that. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. We love new things. It's fun. Uh, Nick or Andrew, whoever wants to go first. Um, Nick already went. I mean, Michael. I mean, Michael, Michael and Andrew. <laughs> My uh, bad. <laughs> I, I can go or Andrew. go ahead, Mike. Uh, yeah, all things Star Wars right now in my life is making me happy. I'm enjoying Obi Wan. I'm reading a bunch of Star Wars tie-in novels because I'm a total nerd. Heck uh, yeah, yeah. The Brotherhood, the new one that's about Anakin and Obi Wan, is fantastic. You should definitely read it. Um, yeah, I'm just digging the whole universe of stuff happening right now. Is that Brotherhood want a book? Yes. I'm gonna go look it up right now. Yeah, it's set right after Clone Wars and, or Attack of the Clones, and it just, it really gets into the characters' heads in a cool way. Love it. And Andrew? Um, I have not had time to go and watch this week's episode yet, so that's my, on my to-do list tonight. But, um... I am happy because I love betas, even if they break my stuff. <laughs> Everything except for my Galaxy Fold is on a beta of some sort. Um, so I'm also happy that my computer didn't crash while we recorded this. I'm really like, I'm sad that you said that because we are still recording, but I think it should be fine. But I love that you love betas. That's amazing. Uh, what made me happy this week? Well, I mentioned in the podcast last week that I did get into a a, a car accident um, and I was fine. It was a, a rear a rear ender. Is that what it's called? Anyways, I was rear ended. Yeah, there we go. Um, but my in the meantime, I have been um, I have a really great insurance company and they settled me with a in a rental car. And I got a 2022 Jetta, a, a Volkswagen Jetta, and I didn't realize how enjoyable that car is to drive. Like it's so nice. And yeah, that's, that's been making me happy. And, and over the weekend we went over up, up North to our friend's cottage and I drove that car and it was, oh, it was one of like, I just love being able to just drive and play, listen to really good music. And you, you get up into the countryside or like cottage, cottage, cottage side and you, you know, the, the air is crisper Everything is clean. Like literally the skyline looks like a wallpaper. It's just, it was wonderful. So that's what made me happy. And, um, and also one more thing, I just got a parks pass and I'm looking forward to doing more reconnecting with mother earth and doing more hikes and nature stuff. So I'm really excited about that. And that's, what's making me happy. Yay. Uh, okay. Well, um, I thank everyone who listens to this podcast every week, whether it's in the morning, 
afternoon or night. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening to us. We really appreciate it. And until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.